Tonight we're gonna talk about faith in a fight. Faith in a fight. Because if you're gonna walk in faith, you better get ready for a fight. It's just, that's the good news. The days and the, the idea that you're gonna just um, receive everything that God has for you, it's gonna fall on you like an apple off a tree, uh, that's just not how it works. Uh, if you look all the way through scripture, God makes provision and God makes promises, but there's always, always gonna be a process to enter into the fruit of those promises. He's already made provision and he's made promises, but there's always a process that goes with it. So if you're gonna walk in faith, you have to be ready for a fight. See, many times when, when, when you're preparing to do something difficult or when you're preparing to do something that requires a lot of effort, one of the things that you need to do is to be mentally prepared, right? Um, I, I coached for years, I've coached for over 25 years, everything from T-ball to varsity high school sports. And one of the biggest advantages that I always tell our boys is that we're, I, I talk to them about being mentally ready and mentally prepared. You gotta be prepared for the fight. They aren't just gonna roll over and let you win. And the same thing is true in life. Uh, because God has made you a promise doesn't mean it's gonna automatically happen. If that was the case, everyone would be saved, right? Because it's God's will for all men to be saved, but yet not everyone is saved, okay? Because just because God's made the promise doesn't mean it's automatic. It means you have the ability to reach it. You have the, the provision has been made, but now we have to walk it out and fight the fight of faith. I just got done on Sunday, Saturday night at 7.30. We pulled in the driveway and I had driven 25 hours. That was no fun. We went uh, six. 1,700 miles in two days. I drove myself 1,700 miles in two days. And for some of you guys, that's no big deal. For me, that's a big deal, okay? I had to get psyched up. I had to be mentally ready to sit behind the wheel for 13 hours one day and 12 hours the next and drive through the mountains. I had to get like totally mentally ready or I would not have been able to do it. I had to like the day before, okay, tomorrow, I'm gonna sit behind that wheel for 12 hours. God, make a way. You know, I had to get ready because that's not how I'm wired. I do not like to drive that much, but I, you know, I like to drive like one or maybe two hours and get there and let's be done, okay? But to drive that much was a big deal. I had to be ready for the fight, right? And many times when people hear God's promises and then something happens that's different than God's promise, they go, well, it must not be for me. See, and the reality is when you hear God's promise, that's the, the ding of the bell when, like, when Rocky was fighting whoever he was fighting. I don't know who he was fighting. He was fighting a bunch of people in those Rocky movies. Anyway. They rang the bell and then the ding let it be known that they were going to fight each other. So when you see and hear God's promise, it's the ding ding that the fight's about to begin. 
Because the enemy is coming against that promise. Turn your Bibles, or look up here, for Mark chapter 4, verse 16. Mark chapter 4, verse 16. Now, this is the parable of the sower, and this is the second type of soil. And it says, therefore, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they receive the word, they get the promise. Immediately, they receive it with gladness. They go, woohoo! And since they have no root in and of themselves, they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the what? Why does persecution arise? Why does persecution arise? For the word's sake. See, persecution arises, comes at you because the enemy wants to discredit God's word. So you get a promise from God, and the first thing that happens is something happens that contradicts whatever that promise was that you just saw. I'll give you an example out of my own life. I was a very healthy kid. I never was sick. I mean, I went whole school years, never had a day off unless I faked it, okay? I just was a healthy kid. And I got saved in 1985, and within... Six to eight weeks, uh, well, I got saved on Tuesday and I came to this church on Sunday and I never went to another church and pastor was my, has been my pastor since February 10, 1985. And he started teaching a series on healing and I started studying, getting all excited about healing and I didn't have any root, I didn't know anything. All I knew was, hey, by Jesus stripes, we're healed, right? So... What happens to a guy, I was healthy, I was 22 years old, everything is going my way, I'm in my career, I'm doing great, and suddenly I get diagnosed with chronic ulcerative colitis, and they're talking about removing uh, my colon, and they're talking about having a bag on my side, and they're talking about all these things. Exactly the opposite of what I had just learned. Now, I wasn't sick ever in my life. I mean, not, not substantially. I mean, I had a few colds, but I mean, nothing serious. All of a sudden, as soon as I start hearing that God wants me well, I get sick. Go figure that one out. Well, I can tell you, persecution comes for the word's sake. So when you hear and you start to grasp a hold of God's promises, you need to be ready to defend and get, as I would use non-technical language, you better hunker down on God's word and realize that a fight may be in your future because you aren't going to take ground away from the enemy with God's promises without a fight. Because there's always faith and a fight. They always go together hand in hand. Now, eventually, I overcame that, and God miraculously gave me a brand new colon, and I've not been sick substantially since then. Okay, certainly not in that area. A year and a half ago, I had another issue, but we're good from that too. See, God has 
more than done what he can do, but we've got to press in and we have to get our own root system because it says one of the reasons that they fail or fall aside is because they have no root in and of themselves. And how do you get roots? You get roots by reading, studying, memorizing, and letting God's word take root inside of you. That's how you grow. That's how you get stable. It's by putting God's word on the inside of you. Then Mark chapter 10, verse 29 It says, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and um, Peter, this is right after Jesus said to his disciples, unless uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. That's the, the context of what this scripture is here. Then Peter says, hey, what about us? We've left everything. So that's the context. So Jesus answered, he's answering Peter, and he says, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, so this is a promise, now in this time, next part, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. In other words, receive a hundredfold of all these things that you've left. Mothers, children, and lands. Then what's those next two words? With, with what? Persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So he's saying, man, you leave stuff for me. You do this for me. And for the gospel's sake, you're going to get a hundredfold. But beware that when I bless you, there's going to be persecutions attached to it. Now, not sorrow, because the Lord makes one rich and he has no sorrow to it. But there will be persecutions. There will be people who don't like the fact that you're blessed. Anybody ever experienced that before? It's called jealousy, okay? Um, But the fact of the matter is, when you do things for God and God blesses you, you, you're gonna realize in a hurry, not everybody is happy when you get blessed, okay? Um, Some people are downright irritated when you get blessed, okay? So, but the problem, the, the, the issue there is, there is a reward, but there's always a fight that comes along with it. There's always that, that tension that's there. See, because, just because there's problems or there's challenges does not mean you're outside the will of God. Do you get what I'm saying? Just because there's problems, challenges, or issues in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you're outside of the will of God or that maybe you're, you're doing something horrible or sinful or whatever because, you know, the reality is the rain falls on the just and the unjust, it says in, Mark, in Matthew 5, 45. So there's some things in life, you know, the fact that you have to mow your grass starting this week and if you don't like to mow your grass... Whether you're a Christian and serving Jesus or whether you're a heathen, your grass is going to grow and you're going to have to mow it. And that's not a curse. It's just part of life. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's some things that just happen. Cars break down whether you're, whether you're serving God or not at times. Now, thank God, you know, we can be blessed and our cars can, you know, get us home. Our car made it there and back. Um, all the way to Florida and back. That was awesome. Uh, no breakdowns. We prayed specifically. No breakdowns. We didn't have any breakdowns. Thank you, Jesus. But the bottom line is, we have had breakdowns in the past. <laughs> and 
the reality is the rain falls on the just and the unjust, okay? So just because you're having issues doesn't mean that you're somehow way off track or you, you got something wrong in your life or anything else, but the reality is when things go wrong, realize that you're in a fight, that you have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he's trying to come after the word in your life because persecution comes for the word's sake. The devil's always trying to get you to back off from what God has told you. See, the second, the second that Adam and Eve were in the garden, that what's the first thing the devil told them? God hath, you shall not surely die. That was, has he told you not to eat of any tree? No, we can eat of any tree, but if we eat of this tree, we'll die. What is the first thing the devil says? You'll not die. He counterdicts God's word. And that's what he always does. The enemy always counterdicts God's word. The minute I started hearing that God wanted me well, that by Jesus' stripes I was healed, you know what the enemy did? The enemy said, oh yeah, try this on for size, bucko. And he hit me in the in digestive tract with this crazy thing, this disease that I've ever heard of until just recently again. Now they got all this medication for it. They didn't have any medication back 30 years ago. But, except Dr. Jesus had a good medication. He just gave me a new colon. But the point is this. Whenever you get a promise from God, the enemy is going to come for the word. He's going to come after you to get that word out of your heart and out of your mouth. So your challenge, your fight of faith, I said there's always a fight, there's always faith and a fight. Your fight is this, keep God's word in your heart by reading it and by saying it. So in your heart and in your mouth, the word of faith that we preach. So you put God's word in your heart and in your mouth, have it coming out of your mouth and keep it there. Keep putting it in your heart. Keep it coming out of your mouth. Keep proclaiming God's promises and do not let the enemy to get you to back off. Okay? Because if he gets you to back off and start saying, well, I don't know, maybe that's not for me and maybe I'm just done too many things wrong and maybe it's just not gonna work for me. Now he has won. He has got the, he's got the word out of your heart. See, but persecution comes for the word's sake. You have to understand something. The devil really doesn't care about you and he doesn't care whether you live or die. He just soon you die, but he doesn't care. What he really cares about is that you don't get God's word in your heart and in your mouth, because if you ever get God's word in your heart and your mouth, you will kick his ever-loving rear end, okay? That's what, he's really, is, that's what he really doesn't want. He's not afraid of you, but he is afraid of you if you get God's word in your heart and in your mouth, because then you'll damage his kingdom. So understand, with faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. Faith doesn't come by praying, doesn't come by fasting. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, okay? So, but when you get that faith, understand something, you have to fight to develop it and fight to keep it. There's always a fight to your faith. It's the good fight of faith. You know why they call it a good fight? Because we win, that's why. It's always a good fight because in the end, if we'll stay with it, we will win. <clears throat> you know, God made, God made the Israelites a promise. He said, I'm gonna bring you into the promised land. 
I mean, you think about all the miraculous things that happened to the Israelites in a very short journey. It was somewhere around 11 days between when they left to when they were, they were spying out the land. I mean, it was, it was a short period of time. Now, he sent the 10 plagues and he capped off those 10 plagues with killing the firstborn of every single Egyptian family, just as a way of saying, hey, you don't think I can do this? You really don't think I'm God? Try this on for size, okay? That's what happened. Um, and the only reason God did that is because that is what Pharaoh threatened to do to the Israelites. So God has a way of doing that. Whatever judgment that you proclaim on somebody else, chances are that's the judgment you'll get because that's what scripture says. Whatever measure you measure, you're gonna be measured by that measure and whatever thing you do, it's gonna be done back to you. So Pharaoh said, I'm gonna kill the firstborn of every Israelite family. So what did God go? Okay, that's what you want, that's what you get. That measure that you said, we're gonna measure it against you and all the firstborn of their whole country died. They sent them out with all their gold and silver and said, get out of here, leave. So they sent them out and then Pharaoh changes his mind, tries to chase them. God opens up the sea. They walk across on dry land all night and then Pharaoh decides he's gonna try it and God destroys them makes the sea come crashing down and destroys them. Then he brings manna out of nowhere and causes this food to come to him and feed two million or more people in the wilderness. While they're there, he's feeding them. Then he makes water come out of a rock. I mean, this is all the stuff that God did in a very, very short time. And then he makes them a promise. He says, I'm gonna go before you and I have given you, I, God always talks in the, in the completed terms. He says, I have given you. You know, in Isaiah 53, it says, by his stripes, you were healed. Okay. It's a completed term. So he says, I have given you this land. That's what he's told the Israelites. I have given you this land. Not I'm going to give you this land. He said, no, I have given you this land. Go in and conquer. So they sent those 12 spies in and 10 of them came back with an evil report and said, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they came back and they said, we can do it. See, God's promise was, I have given you this land. Now the, the question I've got for you tonight, what is that promise that God has given you? Is it a promise that your son that's away from God, that he sure, that God surely will bring all your children into his kingdom? Is it that he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? Is it that by Jesus stripes you were healed? Or Jeremiah 30, 17, that surely I will heal you of your wounds and heal, all, heal you of all your diseases? Any of those promises? Whatever the promise is, God told them, I have given you the land. 10 of the people said, I know that's what you said, but, and they started weeping 
because, well, they're walled cities and there's chariots and there's iron chariots, not just chariots, but iron chariots. We don't even have wood chariots and they got iron chariots. And there's these big walled cities and there's giants in the land and, and we aren't, we're like, like little short people and they're giants and they're gonna, they're gonna murderize us. And you know, that's the way the 10 of them talked. And those 10 of them convinced two million people that they weren't able. And then Numbers 14 talks and it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jeff, Jephunneh, I'm sorry, I slaughtered that name. Members of the scouting party, they ripped their clothes when they heard this and they addressed the people of Israel. And they said, the land we walked through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey. And he'll give it to us. Don't rebel against God and don't be afraid of those people. I love this message translation. It says, we'll have them for lunch. They have no protection. God is on our side. Don't be afraid of these people. To go where God has promised you to go, to fulfill God's plan and God's purposes for your life, you need to mentally prepare spiritually prepare and be prepared for a fight because the devil does not give up ground just oh oh god god told you that you're supposed to have our land oh go ahead be my guest the devil never does that okay the the canaanites the the philistines the midianites the jebusites and all the otherites they didn't give up their land easy they fought and the enemy doesn't give up his land easy that he has in our lives either or in the lives around us. So we've gotta be prepared mentally, we have to be prepared spiritually to, for a battle. So that when, when, when opposition rears its ugly head that we aren't going, oh no, there's opposition, this must not be God. No, what you really need to do is when opposition comes you need to say, Hey, there's opposition. This must be God. Do you, you get the idea? I feel like you missed that one. Most people, when they get opposition, they go, oh, there's opposition. This must not be God. We need to have the idea that says, hey, there's opposition. This must be God. Smile and embrace the battle. Embrace it. Don't, and I was, when I'm coaching, I always tell the guys when they're inside, don't, don't back off from an aggressive defender. Go right into his chest. Embrace the contact. Go right at him. And if you hit him hard enough, next time he'll back off. Right? I mean, come on. Anybody who played football know that's true. Don't back off from the guy just because he's growling at you. Hit him. Go right after him. So when the devil's growling at you, just hit him. Go right at him with the word. Don't back off. Don't say, oh, oh no, I've got opposition. No, that's not who we are. We look at opposition and we say, that's my lunch. That's what Caleb and, jo Caleb and Joshua said. These guys are my lunch. What are you talking about? He says, they're lunch for us. 
That's a different idea, isn't it? That's a different attitude than what sometimes we, we encounter. But if we're going to get to where God has, us, has for us, we have to have that warrior kind of mentality that says, I see opposition, it just means I'm going in the right direction, and God, you're gonna have to get them out of the way or I'm gonna have to run them over, one of the two, but God, the only way I can do either one is if you're with me, so let's go. Embrace the contact, embrace it. Don't shy away from the contact, embrace the contact. But in order to embrace the contact, you have to be prepared, right? And the way you get prepared is by putting God's word in your heart and in your mouth and spending time with God. That's how you get prepared. Because if you aren't spending time with God on a regular basis, if you're not in the word on a regular basis, when opposition comes, you won't be prepared. And then when opposition comes, you'll end up going, oh no, you'll end up doubting yourself or you'll end up doubting God's word because we've got to keep it, you got to keep it fresh. We've got to keep it fresh. So the, the reality is you can, you can settle. You can settle like the Israelites. See those 10 spies, the 10 people that spied out the land, the scouts, they came back and they said, we can't do it, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb says, hey, they're our lunch. We can do this, we got this. God's with us, hey, let's go. And they would not listen. The only two, this is another principle that God does. He tends to give us what we declare he is going to give us. Did you get that? God tends to give us what we declare God is going to give us. Here's the 10 spies and 2 million people. We are not able. God can't deliver us. We can't go in. Guess what? All 2 million people died in the desert and they never got anything near the promised land and they all got exactly what they said. Two people, Joshua and Caleb, said, we are well able, they're our lunch. Why are we afraid? God is able. There's the only two that entered the promised land. Two or two million, who do you want to be associated with? The two or the two million? I personally want to be with the two. Okay, and I would encourage you to jump on that, on that train with the two because that's the two that end up getting into the promised land. The two million die in the desert, but the two who declared God's word, who stood on it, who said, we are well able, the, they were ready for the fight. They didn't run away from the fight. They were ready for the fight. And they were embracing the contact. And they were saying, hey, we can do this. When we settle, when we, when we settle, when, when opposition comes and we back off and we go, oh, oh, well, there's opposition, I better back off. When we do that, you have just begun the dying process. When you stop pushing into God's kingdom, you started that process. When you decide you're going to settle and back off and start backing up, and, and going the, the wrong way. Now, you can get out of that process and start the living, conquering process again anytime you want, but 
That's because of grace. In the old covenant, they couldn't do that. But we can do that just by a decision of your will. You can decide, I'm not going to keep on backing up and, and cowering away from the enemy. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go right up in his grill. I'm going to hit him with God's word with both barrels. I'm going to mess with him. I'm going to hit him right in the chest. I'm going to pound him with the word and watch him run. Right? I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I'm talking about physical violence. I'm talking about getting violent with the word of God toward the enemy. Get out of my house is a good word for you to give to the devil. Okay? You are not welcome here. The blood of Jesus is over my house and you are not welcome out. I have authority over this house. See, that's being spiritually violent. That's going after him. That's sticking, that's sticking your shoulder in the guy's chest and going, you're done, get out of here. I'm not gonna back off just because you're growling at me, right? And anybody who's never played football, I'm sorry for all the sports analogies, but it's the only thing I got. So here, I don't have any hunting analogies. So all I got sports analogies. But the, the, the issue is, the, the kingdom of heaven is going to suffer violence, but the violent take it by force. And you get violent by going into God's word and realizing, hey, the devil is messing with my stuff in my family and all this, and I am done with it. This is, we're done. He's lunch for me. I ain't afraid of that. Jesus has already conquered him. He's lunch. I mean, I just love that, that translation where he said, they're lunch for us. What are you talking about? They weren't afraid the least because they, they knew how big their God was. Now, I know that this is said a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Don't tell God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. That's the, that's the bottom line. And I know that's said a lot, but think about what I just said. Don't tell God about how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. And how do you know how big your God is? You gotta go into the word of God. You gotta go into his promises. You gotta spend time with him and get revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge only comes by, by hearing and understanding God's word, and that only comes by time. There's no substitute. You can't speed read the word and get revelation. You gotta meditate on it. You gotta let it get inside of you. You gotta let revelation knowledge come, and it will come. So when, you, when someone settles, when they start backing up, they're conceding defeat. You are going, it's like playing not to lose. Whenever you play not to lose, you lose. I've seen it time and time and time again. A team is ahead, it's close to the end of the game, and they start backing up, and they start playing not to lose, and they almost always lose when you play not to lose. You gotta play to win, man. You cannot play not to lose. You gotta play to win. And when you're ahead, you gotta play to win all the more. Don't coast, because whenever you coast, the other team gets momentum and they come back. See, and the enemy, whenever things are going really, really good, that's not time to take a vacation from the word. It's time to double down. Because you, you don't want to take a vacation. You want to double down and keep your foot on the devil's neck, man. Just keep your foot right on his neck so he's just down there going, ah, right? You got to keep your foot on his neck because that's where it belongs. He is a defeated foe. So why are we tempted to quit? 
Why are we tempted to quit? Number one reason, fear. We're afraid it won't work. We're afraid it might not work. Well, what if it doesn't work? I would say to you, what if it does? Here's the thing is, it's not working now anyway. What do you got to lose? So what if, every time somebody says, what are you gonna do if it doesn't work? You always answer them with this question just because it irritates them. See, you just want to irritate. People that want to get you into doubt, just irritate them. You can say this to them to irritate them. When they say, what are you going to do if that doesn't work? You look at them and say, what are you going to do when it does? And just smile at them. Be sweet. And they'll say, but I'm serious. What are you going to do if that doesn't work? What are you going to do if it does? Just keep answering the same way. Eventually, they'll, they'll leave you alone. See, what are you going to do if it does? What are you going to do if it does? Well, I doubt, oh, I doubt if that's going to work. Well, I doubt your doubt. So there, we're even. See, your fear will always contaminate your faith. Your fear cannot coexist with your faith. You have to resist you have to get rid of the fear. And what does it say? That perfect love casts out fear. So if you're de- being afraid's not a sin. I mean, everybody gets afraid once in a while. Being afraid's not a sin. Staying in fear is not a good idea. But if you're afraid, just jump into God's love because God's perfect love casts out fear. Get into God's presence. Get with your friends. Get into prayer. Get around some people that can help you if you're afraid. But don't just sit there and be afraid. Do something about it, okay? What is the other reason? Fear, fear's ugly twin is doubt. We doubt God's voice. Well, maybe I didn't really hear God. Yes, you did. God's word is true. Maybe you, sometimes you doubt your call. Well, maybe I'm not supposed to do this just because it's hard. I got news for you. Anything worth doing is hard. If it's easy, it probably isn't worth doing. <laughs> Everything worth doing is hard. My wife and I just celebrated 30 years. She's probably the most gracious, wonderful woman on the face of the earth. You know what? It's been hard, okay? Because anything worth doing isn't easy, okay? So get over it and realize that things aren't always going to be easy. And then just get a tenacity, get a kind of a, I don't know, just look at yourself in the mirror and growl once in a while. I don't know. Just get, just get mean. And just decide that you're going to hold on to God's word no matter what. I mean, I, I think you think I'm weird? That's fine. I don't care. I am weird. So there. But I sometimes just kind of go, man devil. You know, just growl at him. Just, you know, who knows? I don't care. But the point is this. Tenacity doesn't happen. Tenacity doesn't happen naturally. It's a decision that you make to stay in the fight, to stay in the game, to not give up. It's tenacity. And tenacity is what it takes if you're going to enter into God's promised land. If you're going to if you're going to receive everything God has for you, you're going to have to develop that tenacity muscle, that stick to that I'm never going to quit. I don't, doesn't matter what happens. 
I'm not going to quit. That's called tenacity. Okay. It, when, when I was, I mean, there, there's been a few things in our lives with my wife and I that have taken years and years and years and years, longer than I care to remember, but they're happening now. They're, they're, they're happening. We've been praying for certain people for years and years and years, and they're turning to the Lord now. And I'm so glad that we didn't give up. I'm so thankful that we didn't cash in our chips two or three years ago. See, most people fail. Most failure occurs because we simply quit too early. Do you know that? Most people fail because they simply quit too early. There's all kinds of natural examples that I don't, don't have time for to get into, but so many natural examples of this in life that if people would have just stuck in the battle a little bit longer, they would have they made it, but they quit. See, those two million people that died in the wilderness in, in, in the book of Exodus, if they would have just stuck in the fight and developed some tenacity, they could have entered the promised land, but they quit. They said, no, we can't do it. See, but God wants us to grab a hold and to, to trust him, to grab a hold of God's promise, to grab a hold of whatever it is, that thing that's in you, that thing that if you say, boy, if this one thing happened, I would just be overwhelmed. That one person that you're praying for, that you're believing for, don't give up, don't cash in your chips, don't back off, embrace the conflict. Many times it gets worse before it gets better. I mean, you have to just realize that many times, I bet, I bet Skip got worse before he got better, Carol, those years ago, I bet he did. What's that? Both of you did, all right. But see, many times that's what happens. And when, they, when things start to turn worse, many times people give up or they, they just say, oh, I guess it's not God's will. They, they quit too soon. And I would say, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't embrace the fight. Don't, don't back off. Embrace the fight. 1 Corinthians 15, it says that be confident of what, uh, throw yourselves into the work of the master being confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time. Nothing that you do. You can say, well, I worked all that time and then all this and it never happened. Or you might've started a business and you say, man, I worked so hard and I did so much and then it ended up going bankrupt or we had to give it away because we couldn't make any money. And oh, here's the thing, if you did it, because you felt like the Lord was leading you to do it, I would say grab a hold of that verse. Nothing that you do for him is wasted effort. God can bring something good, a relationship, a contact. You know how many people I know that's, that had things that went wrong or they might have worked somewhere and it didn't go well and then 10 years later they get a call from that person and they end up in a different position in their dream job because of a contact they made in a terrible situation where they were 10 years ago. I mean, I know lots of people in those types of situations. You could say, but I would say to you, no matter what your situation, say, God, redeem this situation. 
redeem it. Because, you know, God, I went there because I felt it was you. I did this because I was trying to be obedient. And Lord, I'm confident that nothing I do for you is wasted effort. That God can redeem anything. He can redeem horrible situations and turn them into good. Because that's what he does. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. See, all things work together for good. So I want to close it up tonight and just, just close it up with this alone. That when we're, when we're going to receive anything from God, we have to be ready for a fight. We have to embrace it. Don't, don't run from it. Embrace it. Growl if you have to. I mean, just, I mean, not in public, but you know what I mean. Get that tenacity going that says, I'm never going to quit. Clench your teeth if you have to. I always do. I'm never. Talk through your teeth. It makes you sound tough. Uh, I'm never going to quit. That's literally where I, feel, I felt the Lord wanted me to go tonight and just, just to get, inspire you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm never going to quit this marriage. I'm never going to quit this calling. I'm never going to quit where God has called me. I'm never going to quit. See, too many times people quit because they're hurt. They quit because things are going on or they're afraid. But part of, part of what I want us all to get today is that, man, if you'll just stay in the game, you can win. Just stay just stay, 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 stay steady in the stream, and God is faithful. He will do what he has promised to do. He will. He will. Let's bow our heads. I just was, I'm curious, I'm not going to have you come forward necessarily, but I just want to give a point of, maybe a point of contact for us today where we can join our faith together. Um, Wondering if there's anybody here that in hearing what the Lord has shared through me tonight, because that's really the way I feel this was, it was the Lord sharing something, something through me, and that is if, if what was shared tonight affects you in a way that you say, I have really been struggling. I have been struggling to, to, to being tempted to quit, whether it was to quit my marriage or to quit my calling or to just run away from situations, whatever it is, if that's you, would you be so courageous as to stand up right where you are? Stand up right where you are. Okay. See this? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm having a moment. <sighs> The Lord has, has something to, to add to whatever has already been shared, even right now. And that is, he sees your pain. He sees the, the hurt that's driving this desire or temptation to quit. He knows that you're not lazy. He knows that you're not foolish, but you're hurting. And the hurt you just want to get away from the hurt. Some of you, you just want to get away from the hurt. That's what you're doing. And he wants to come alongside and, and 
touch that place that's hurting so bad. I'm gonna ask if you would, the people that are around these people standing, would you be so kind and be the body of Christ and just place gently, not don't get too rough with them, but just place gently a hand on a shoulder and just agree. And we're just gonna have a prayer of agreement. We got a bunch of people up here yet. So if you're in the back and you don't have anybody to stand by, get up here and help us out. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, you see your body at work here. Father, you see things that we, it's impossible for us to see. You see into the very thoughts and the hearts and you feel the pain you feel the hurt, you feel all the emotions that each one of these precious individuals are feeling right now. And Father, we just we can't even fathom how great you are and how merciful and how great you are that you can see all of us simultaneously and yet identify with each one of us simultaneously at all, all at once. But Father, we ask that you would pour a revelation of your love into the hearts of each one of these that have stood. And Father, I thank you that they will stand, that as they stood up, that took courage. I thank you, Father, for the courage that's there, that, that it takes to stand up and to acknowledge the temptation. And Father, I thank you that today, that the courage it took them to stand up, that they are going to stand against the forces of darkness that are trying to harm and hurt them and to get them to quit and to get them to back up. Father, we thank you. I speak strength. Father, I thank you that through the hands of each one of these believers, I thank you, Father, that these believers' hands, right there, that through these hands of believers, Father, your word says that they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, whether that's emotionally sick, physically sick. We just thank you, Father, that as we lay hands and as all my brothers and sisters lay hands on these folks, I thank you, Father, that your healing power is flowing to their hearts, to their bodies, to their minds, to their souls. And Father, that your revelation of your love is flowing even right now, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that you are such a good God. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Father, for doing what only you can do. And I declare over these, over these that have stood, and I declare over us that we will stand. And having done all to stand, we will stand. We will not back up. We will see the salvation of our God. We will see, the, we will see your judgment upon our enemies. Father, we thank you that we will see your salvation manifested in our lives. Father, we thank you that we will see the manifestation of our prayers. Father, we thank you that we will see the salvation of our loved ones, that we will see the restoration of relationships, that we will see the restoration of, of, of businesses and careers, that we will see the restoration of situations and friendships where there's, where there's breaks. I thank you, Father. 
for healing in relationships. I pray specifically for marriages. Father, we thank you that we just confess the blood of Christ over marriages right now. We confess the blood of Christ. Your, your word says in Colossians 1.20, that's the blood of Christ that, call, that reconciles all men to yourself. We thank you, Father, that we just confess the blood of Christ over marriage relationships right now. And Father, the blood of Jesus just brings reconciliation in marriages right now. I thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. The blood, we celebrate that his blood was shed even in a couple days. Father, we just appropriate that blood over relationships, over marriages right now for restoration, for reconciliation, for grace and understanding and peace. Thank you, Father, for restoration in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.